Making our way through the book of Proverbs, I just want to continue to remind us uh, the mother of learning is redundancy, I think. So the, the concepts that we want to understand that the scripture is laying out for us as we, as we study, it's giving us road signs. The road signs are there to help us understand what road we're on. And if we look at the book of Proverbs, it lays out for us this ideal. There's two roads anybody can take. But only two. When Jesus talked about them, what did He say? He said, there's a narrow way, right? It leads to life. There's a broad way. It leads to death. Jesus also said, there are few who find the narrow way, and there's many who find the broad way. And the concept there between, narrow, between the many and few is the idea that the broad path is found easily. You, it doesn't take any... Paying attention. If you just don't pay attention and walk, you'll be on the Broadway. However, if you want to be aware, we, if we'll look for the street signs, we can recognize the road we're on. And ultimately, our choice is, I think, in large degree, a choice of how much time we want to spend on the wrong road. Right? You ever spent, uh, I don't know, I spent 13 years on, on Broadway going the wrong way. And uh, so I'm thankful that God put things in my life that showed me the road signs. Hey, Jackie, you're on the wrong road. It doesn't go where you want to go. It doesn't end where, where you want to find yourself. And so as we go through Proverbs, I hope we can see it. I hope in all the little pithy uh, wisdom sayings, we can recognize that the point of those wisdom sayings is to tell us, what road are you on? Because we make excuses for being on the wrong road all the time. We say things like, well, it doesn't really matter, God will forgive me. Well, that may or may not be so, but I, I certainly don't want to be guilty of trampling the, the body and the blood of Christ, right? And taking His sacrifice as a little thing. I want to give it the value that it deserves, and, and I want my attitude to reflect that. So I, I want to be aware. And hopefully we can do that as we take a look at chapter 15. It begins, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. Now the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, but not so the hearts of fools." The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to Him. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but He loves him who pursues righteousness. There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of man. For a scoffer does not like to be reproved, he will not go to the wise. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is crushed. 
The heart of him who understanding, who has understanding, seeks knowledge. But the mouths of fools feed on folly. All the days of the afflicted are evil. But the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than the fattened ox and hatred with it. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger will quiet contention. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a level highway. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. The path of life leads upward for the prudent, that he may turn away from Sheol beneath. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayers of the righteous. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction (coughs) despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. For the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to study your word, to go, to come before it, to open our heart, to receive God, to see that which you have for us. Lord, I pray that we would have uh, just a fruitful place in our hearts to receive what your word is calling us to, that it's our desire, Lord, to to hear you, to recognize the street signs and where you're calling us and where you're asking us to walk, Lord, that we might be able to give honor and glory to you, God, as we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we start Proverbs chapter 15, one of my favorite verses and one that I use all the time with my son Joe is where we begin. So we begin in verse 1. What does it say? A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Oftentimes when I'm talking to my son, I want to remind him that if we want to, the response that we want to, to receive has something to do with how we deliver the truth. I want to pay attention to the street signs. Well, what did the Bible tell us? The Bible says we're supposed to speak the truth, but how do we do it? Speak the truth in love. And one of the ways that we can speak the truth in love is to remember that God calls us to humility. means a humble attitude, not a proud attitude. And it means having a gentle spirit. As we see 
as we get a little further into the chapter, we'll see this call to a gentle and soft spirit that is willing and wants to uh, uh, provide the proper groundwork for the response it desires. If we want the message that we're trying to get across to get across, there are certain ways that God calls us to deliver it. So he says, soft answer will turn away wrath. There's never a time, just so we can be clear, there's never a time, just in case you didn't hear me, never a time when the wrath of man will accomplish the righteousness of God. The word of God declares, your wrath, your anger will not accomplish his will. So that's not what he's looking for. He's looking for us to be able to respond like he would have us. That soft answer. Lots of times, and I think even today, one of the, one of the disappointing things, I guess, for me as I consider <clears throat> our current president is how much people want to praise him for just saying whatever's on his mind. Or how many times we want to say it's okay just to say whatever's, whatever you're thinking. Just doesn't matter how you say it. It's the other person's problem on how they receive it. Just so we can be clear, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches soft answer. Soft answers. The Bible tells us being angry isn't sin. What is? Losing our self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. So a man walking the path of life will have self-control. James said, a man walking the path of life will be able to control his tongue. So here we see similar street signs as we look at Proverbs chapter 15. Verse 2 goes on with the same thought. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge. The tongue of the wise is going to uphold or shine a light or reflect positively on knowledge, it's going to it's going to bring about uh, a good attitude and look toward knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. So the idea is the tongue, the way that the wise speaks, is going to reflect positively on wisdom, knowledge. The way that the the wise speaks is going to have a positive reflection. But the mouth of fools, what does it do? It just opens up his mouth and in, and just lets the words pour out. And again, this is another area where we always want to make excuses for ourselves and we say, I've done it myself. Well, I'm just venting. Well, I've told you, the Bible that doesn't give you that that right to pour out angry words on somebody else because you're stressed out. The Bible does give you the right to take that stress and frustration and anger to the Lord. But it doesn't give you that to, to pour out or pour over someone else. So the, the attitude here is that we would speak with wisdom, that we want to follow the path of light. Now there's a great example of this, guys, in Scripture. If we look at 1 Samuel 25, we're introduced to a guy named Nabal. Nabal means fool. That's what his name means. His parents, I don't know why, they called their son fool. They just decided that it was a good idea. I don't know. And he lived up to his name. So scripture says, And Nabal answered David's servants. So David sent servants to Nabal, asking Nabal for help. He's asking Nabal to provide him food and things because David was protecting the land. 
he was keeping the Philistines out. He was providing protection. So he was just looking for a little bit of help for him and his men. It's, he's on the run from Saul. There's nobody taking care of him. He doesn't have lands. He can't go grow, grow crops. And rather than going and taking it, he's asking for it. So he asked Nabal. And Nabal responds, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Uh, shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on a sword. Every man of them strapped on a sword. And David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, while 200 remained with the baggage. So David's got 600 men. And he's providing protection. So the Philistines would have come in and wiped out everything that Nabal had, but David fought him off. Now all he's asking for is some bread and water. A little bit of supply. So Nabal just says whatever's on his mind. Yeah? Why should I give you anything? I didn't ask you to do this for me. Okay. So David grabs a sword and brings 400 guys. Now how do you think Nabal is going to stand up to 400 guys? I don't. I mean, it don't even matter. To pick any farm out here. I doubt they they have the ability to to push back four hundred guys who are coming to take what they want. Hardened uh, warriors. So they're coming down, and David's intent is to wipe them out. Then we come to the next the next section we want to look at, verse twenty three of First Samuel twenty five. Says when Abigail saw David, she hurried got down from the donkey, fell before David on her face, bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Oh, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent, So then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving uh, with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this uh, present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lies of your enemies he will sling out from before you as from a hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you prince uh, over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause. For, or for my Lord working salvation himself, and when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. Abigail is Nabal's wife. So Nabal just says whatever's in his mind, and what does he stir up? Wrath. So what's coming? 400 angry men to take everything he has. 
So Abigail, his wife, goes out to meet David on his way. She stops him. She apologizes. David says, you know what, Abigail, you're right. Uh, I'm, I won't come. Abigail provides what they were asking for, and the contention is avoided. And all of that goes back to the road signs that Proverbs talks about. She's not just saying whatever's coming to her mind. She's not just rattling off whatever angst is in her heart, pouring out her frustration upon men and expecting them to deal with it. She's given a careful answer. And that careful answer squashes contention. And and we have to realize and recognize, again, when we look at the book of James, what is it that James is telling us? James is telling us that a man who's walking the path of life controls his tongue, not just lets his tongue loose. And we see that here in these Proverbs as we look in the beginning of chapter 15. Now as we go on, 15.3 tells us about the Lord and His ability to see all. It says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And the idea here, guys, in that word watch, is that, that God is watching for a purpose. That He's watching for a plan. That He's not just sitting back and letting things unravel and come apart without any care. But that He is recognizing the, 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 the things that people are doing, the issues that are going on, and he has it under control. Now, by under control, this is what I mean. When I talk about the sovereignty of God, <clears throat> I'm not saying that God has determined all things that take place. I am saying that God is king of it all. And as king, he is the sovereign. And as the sovereign, he is the one responsible for dealing out punishment or judgment he's the one responsible for dealing out reward he's the sovereign he's in charge he gets to make the call not me again the word of god carries out that idea that we are not to desire to get revenge for ourselves. but where are we supposed to place that we put it in the hands of god right The Lord will repay. The Lord has said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, right? What's he saying? I'm sovereign. I'm the king. So if something's been done in my nation or my universe (laughs) that is in opposition to me, I'll take care of it. I I, I will take that responsibility. And so he's saying here, he's watching it all. In Psalm 139, we have similar thoughts. It says, Lord, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. So, what's the road sign? God is in control. In control in the sense that He's watching over it all, and He will be the responsible party. Next, the next thing we see, another area of road signs, is the road sign of gentle speech. We kind of talked about this briefly in the beginning. <laughs> it says a gentle tongue is a tree of life. So if I look at that, a gentle tongue is on what path? Road of life. So which, when Jesus said there's two roads, narrow and broad, if you have a gentle tongue, you're following the road signs on which one? The narrow path, right? The path that leads to life. 
That's why the proverb says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. It brings life in what it says and what it does. But perverseness in it breaks the spirit. So when the tongue is other than gentle, when the tongue is harsh or rash, it brings the opposite. It does the opposite thing. It breaks the spirit. Gentle speech, life, perverseness, perverseness, death. Next, he goes on to a concept about how to learn. How do we learn? In uh, verse 5, a fool despises his father's instruction. Where does learning begin? Learning begins in our home, doesn't it? Some of the first lessons we were ever taught were by our parents, right? Don't touch that, it's hot. No? Or, don't touch this, getting smacked on the back of the hand. Maybe that didn't happen to any of you guys. But we had, we received correction then. So the concept that he says, okay, a fool, someone who has rejected God, despises his father's instruction. So as he's coming up in those initial days of learning, he's rebellious. He's rebellious against what his dad says. But the flip side of that, whoever heeds reproof, correction, hears instruction, hey, don't do that, and takes it to heart, he is prudent. So you have the two roads, right? You have the road of the fool and the road of the prudent. Then he goes on to talk about, well, then if I'm prudent or if I'm a fool, what's the profit? Look at verse 6. In the house of the righteous, there's much treasure. But trouble befalls the income of the wicked. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, but not so the heart of fools. So as he's laying it out, he's saying, okay, we have the prudent, the one who receives instruction, the fool, the one who hates instruction. And then that leads somewhere. The prudent leads to the house of the righteous. And in the house of the righteous, there's much treasure. There's much treasure now this treasure, the word for treasure, does not necessarily, we're not talking about gold, silver, gems, jewels, tons of money. Everybody understands there's more to the word treasure, the concept of treasure, than our stuff. So there's treasure there. But on the other side, the fool who hates instruction, his is not the house of righteousness. In his home is trouble. Trouble befalls the income of the wicked, the family, the household of the wicked has trouble. The lips of the wise spread knowledge. So the idea, the wise man doesn't just want to hear it. The one who's walking on the path of life, he also wants to share. It's not a one-way, it's not a one-way trip, right? It's not just pouring into and nothing coming out. <clears throat> For the wise, it goes in and it also flows out. It wants to flow forward. But not with the heart of fools. The fools don't care. They, they are focused on self. So they get caught up in their own way. Then again, he's going to look at the broad way. Look at verse 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. So God's not interested in, in us trying to fake a relationship with Him. Right? The concept, just so we can be clear on the ideas of sacrifice and offering. An offering was something that was totally consumed. A sacrifice was something that was shared. That's the difference. When we look in the Old Testament, an offering is totally consumed. 
The burnt offering all got burnt on the altar. But the sacrifice would be shared either with the one who brought it and the priest and the Lord or some portion thereof between them. And so the picture is someone desiring communion with God. I'm coming for communion with God. I want to spend time with God, but I'm the wicked. The wicked means I'm, I'm following the path of the fool. I'm following the path of destruction. I'm, that's the road I'm walking. So it's an outward show for the benefit of those who are watching. And it says that's an abomination to the Lord. Now a lot of people have heard a lot of verses about a lot of things that are an abomination to the Lord. A lot of times we'll throw around the idea that homosexuality is an abomination to the Lord. So is being fake. kind of important that we recognize that no the the idea of being an abomination is an aberration it's something god doesn't like he hates it he hates fake he hates people who are pretending to want to be with him while walking the path of destruction while choosing to be the fool who hates instruction who doesn't want to hear the things God has to say. So keep in mind, the sacrifice of the wicked, that's an abomination. But you go down in verse 9, what else is an abomination? The way of the wicked. Now what road is the way of the wicked? That's the wide path. It's the broad way. It's the road to destruction. Does God like the road to destruction? Did he, did he allow there to be a road of destruction just so people would be destroyed? Is it some kind of scam from God? This is what I try to express to people. When God stood before mankind and said, Today I have set before you two roads. All the way back to Adam and Eve. We, we asked a lot of questions about Adam and Eve. Here's Adam and Eve in the garden. Surrounded by perfection. Everything you could ever want all around you. In every direction, whatever you need is there. And so the Lord said, hey, here's the road to life. And over there is the road to destruction. Choose life. Does God know what they're going to choose? Probably. So why did he give them the choice? I think that's the wrong question. If God knew what they were going to choose and it was going to cost him death on the cross, why did he do it? It's not all about us. It's not all about us trying to cast responsibility on someone else like Adam did. Who chose? Would somebody hold a gun to Adam's head when he had that, whatever, pomegranate? Everybody says apple. I just have to do something different. He, hey, it's right there. Nobody's forcing him. He took it of his own what? Free will. He took it. What did Eve do? Eve was deceived. Adam, he took it of his own free will. He, Adam knew what he was doing. Adam knew what was going on. The road laid out before him. What about today? Today, when God lays out two paths, and he says, the broad way is destruction. And if you're just walking naturally, just trying to fake your way through it, you're going to find yourself on a road of destruction. Don't do that. Be purposeful about how you walk. Here, I'll give you street signs. Here, it's in my word. This is not hard to understand. Do not steal. Is that hard to understand? So if I steal, what road am I on? That's, oh, look how easy that is. Right? I'm, this is not overly complicated, is it? <clears throat> a soft answer turns away wrath. 
Soft answer is the, is the path of life. How hard is that to understand? A tongue that I just let say whatever it wants to say, whenever it wants to say it. That's not the path of life. Isn't this not difficult? So God says, here's the path. Choose life. Choose life. And so we have these things laid out before us. We have this path. The way of the wicked is an abomination. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. But here's the hope. It says, the prayer of the upright is acceptable, and he loves him who pursues righteousness. Now here's where we don't want to lose our way. Pursuing righteousness is not the idea of pursuing right deeds. Pursuing righteousness is a person. What person are you pursuing? When I pursue the broad way, I'm pursuing self. When I pursue the narrow way, I'm pursuing Christ. And He who knew no sin became my sin so that I might become what? The righteousness of God. My righteousness is in Christ. My eternal life is in Christ. My eternal security is in Christ. My election, the choosing, my adoption, where is it all found? In Christ. So what do I need to be pursuing? I need to be pursuing the one who stood at the beginning of the narrow road and said to all who will listen, come, follow me. He hears the prayers of the righteous. Not made righteous because of what we've done, but because of who we pursue. Who are we pursuing? We're pursuing Christ. Now look at verse 10. It says, There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Now, the book of Hebrews tells us that's loving. What does it mean? That means if I'm on the narrow way, and I'm trucking, and many of us maybe have experienced this, I'm on the narrow way, I'm focused on Christ, I'm doing good, but somewhere along the line, I start to lose my focus, and the next thing I know, somewhere I took the wrong turn, and I found myself someplace I don't want to be. And when I get there, I go, oh my gosh, how did I get to this place? The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Yeah? Let me ask you the next question. Who does God love? John 3.16 said, For God so loved... Oh, so we have this idea, right? God is love, according to 1 John 4, 7 and 8, that God loves men, so what does He provide? Chastening, discipline. That means He, he gets out of pipe. How hard is your head? How many times have you been, have, have you had to get hit in the head to change your direction? Bing! Bing! The pipe just keeps getting bigger. Why does it keep getting bigger? Because God's mad at you? Why does it get bigger? Because God loves you. He'll hit you with as big a pipe as it takes to turn you around. How many guys have been hit with a big pipe before? Yeah, I've eaten a big pipe. Big old fat one, but I still hear it ringing every once in a while. Yeah, God will discipline us. That's a sign of love. He disciplines us. Why? He doesn't want us on the path of destruction. He wants to wake us up. He wants to tune us up, to understand, oh my gosh, wait, look at the sign. Where am I? Am I on the road I'm supposed to be on? 
Am I doing the things that I ought to be doing? But then look at the next phrase of verse 10. But whoever hates reproof, what happens to them? They die. Why? They won't change the road they're on. God's not going to force you to walk with them. He's going he's to love you. He's going to try to correct you. He's going to try to get you on the path. But where is eternal life? In Christ. Where is my adoption? In Christ. Where is all, where's salvation? In Christ. You know, Paul says 169 times that everything we need for a relationship with God is found where? In Christ. So what do you think is an important part of our relationship? That we be found where? What road do you think he's on? So we probably want to walk that road, right? Am I saying if I lose my way and I walk on the wrong road, I'm lost? Only if you don't listen to correction. Right? Because if I don't listen to correction, what did he say happens? You die. What's at the end of the road of destruction? Yeah, there's nothing there. We don't want to be on that road. Now look what he says in verse 11. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of men. Sheol is the grave. It's Hades. It's the holding place of the dead. The abode of the dead. Abaddon is the destroyer. Destruction. He says, I see the grave and I see destruction. I see it all. There's no place. There's no separation. It's like I can look into beyond the gates of hell. If you want to look at Hades or or Sheol as hell. It's not probably the hell you think of. But the idea of that holding place or the abode of the dead. God says, if I can see all of that. I want you to know I see your heart. And if God sees your heart and your heart desires him. You're okay. Keep going. But if God knows your heart and he sees your heart and your heart is not about him, don't be deceived. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So we can't pull pull the wool over God's eyes, right? There's no tricking the Lord God. He wants us to know he sees the way He hates the Broadway. He wants to do everything he can to get men on the narrow way. The Bible says Jesus Christ came to seek and to save who? The lost. What road are they on? The Broadway. He wants to get them over to which way? The narrow way. That's what he has provided a way for. Yeah? So we want to be found in him. We want to find ourselves in him. Now look at verse 12. Verse 12 says this, A scoffer does not like to be reproved. A scoffer, guys, is someone who has moved beyond the place of the simple. Remember three kind of categories of unbelief. The simple, who just doesn't quite get it yet. The scoffer, who is now more obstinate about his unbelief. And the fool, who has said in his heart, there is no God, okay? So the scoffer is in that middle category. He's getting more obstinate in his rejection of the Lord. He doesn't want the truth. Isn't that what it says? 
A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. He will not go to the wise. A scoffer, scoffers are not going to come check out church. How is it that a scoffer hears the truth? If he won't go to the wise, what has to happen? And the wise has to go where? To him. Wise has to go to him. He doesn't long for the truth. He's not looking for the truth. So we want to recognize the call is to reach out to the scoffer. But a scoffer, he's not going to reach for the truth. Next we see that our heart, our heart within us, affects us both inside and out. Let's look at it. Verse 13. A glad heart makes a cheerful face. The, the idea, a glad heart, a joyful spirit, it, it comes out, right? Have you ever met somebody who's really full of joy, and, and, but really they look like they're full of sour apples? Uh, no, that's not how it works, right? If the heart is full of joy, the point is it comes out. But if your heart is full of sorrow, that comes out too, right? So you have a joyful heart, has joyful expression, a depressed, sad, broken heart or broken spirit, it also comes forth. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge. So he wants to understand. But the mouths of fools just feed on folly. What's the idea? Listen to the idea. The glad heart is the heart seeking knowledge. The joy of the Lord shall be your strength. Where is joy found? In Christ. Not in our circumstances. I, I can be joyful when I have a lot of money, but that doesn't always last, does it? I can be joyful if I get just what I want for Christmas, but then Christmas ends and what I wanted got scratched. So d- does, it, d- does my life have to be a roller coaster? Or can I realize the joy of the Lord is my strength? In His presence is the fullness of joy. So that's the idea. Where, do I, where am I going to find the joy for my heart? In the presence of God. But what about that with a broken heart? The Bible says God's near to the brokenhearted. <clears throat> He's near. But it says the mouths of fools feed on folly. They continue. They're, they just sit down. The Bible says the dog will return to his vomit. Don't cast your pearls before the swine. What is it saying? It's saying well, sometimes we get caught in that place of brokenheartedness, depression, run down, and what do we feed on? We're feeding on the same thing that got us there in the first place. We're feeding on folly. Why? Because the Bible just told us where joy is. Where's it at? In the presence of the Lord. I'm never going to find the presence of the Lord on the Broadway. On the path of destruction. Walking that path. What is your appetite? Is your appetite set on the Lord? The knowledge of Him? Joy is found there. If your appetite is set on folly, you're on the wrong road. Look at verse 15. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. What's that idea? All the days of the afflicted. Who's the afflicted? The afflicted is the one with a broken heart. He's afflicted. It's, 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 he is under the affliction of his broken heart. And what happens? His days are bad. And bad days become more bad days, become despair, becomes more. If I'm not seeking the Lord and the fullness of joy found in His presence, 
then I'm going to be stuck there. If I find myself as a, as a believer depressed, what is it that God's Word is telling me to do? Go after the Lord. Seek His presence. Get into His presence where He is. That's where there is fullness of joy. But what happens is, we begin to continue to eat the feast of the afflicted. And we find that the skeleton at the feast is me. I am devouring myself in my affliction, in my brokenness, in my broken-hearted state. <clears throat> I need to get out of that and into His presence. The cheerful of heart, the one who has the Lord, is focused on the Lord. That relationship with the Lord is foundational to them. That's a source of joy. So what's in their heart? Cheerfulness. They're on the road of life. And then what's he say in verse 16? Still the same subject. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a little. He's saying, look, I don't need a lot of stuff. If I got the Lord, just give me my daily bread. Right? That's all I need. All I need is what I have with the Lord. I'd rather have little and God than a lot and no God. And then he gives us another example of it. I'd rather have a dinner of herbs. For me, it's like I'd rather have a big pile of vegetables with love than a huge plate of meat with hatred. I'd rather have a little with love. I'd rather have a little with the Lord than have an abundance without Him or an abundance with hatred. So he's laying out this idea. Look, we want to have a heart and our heart is going to affect us both on the inside and out, but our heart also needs to be fed. So if we want to have a strong heart, a cheerful heart, it needs to be fed joy. And joy is not some weird thing that we conjure up in our mind. Joy is found in the presence of God. So it's getting into God's presence. That's our source of joy. The source of depression, that's feasting on ourselves. Feasting in our brokenness. And we find ourselves constantly under days of affliction... In order to get out of that, we have to change the road we're on. Get off the path of destruction. Walk the path of life. That's where God is. That's where the Lord is. That's where the source of our joy will be found. Then, last one we'll look at tonight, verse 18. Look what it says. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention we started with a soft answer and we end with the idea of a soft answer and we're going to parallel what we just did we just went through 17 verses the next 23 are going to parallel the 17 we just went through why because one of the things that solomon understood as a wise man is we need to keep mulling these things over in our minds if we're going to lay hold to them the more i hear it the more i read it the more i let it in the more I let it take control. And we want to allow God's Word to take control of us. We want to allow God's Word to tell us what road we're on. We want to allow God's Word to be that guide to us so that when it's all said and done, I can say, I'm walking on the path of life. 
And when I find myself having took the wrong turn, I don't have to go 100 miles down the wrong road. I can stop right there, repent, which means what? Turn around, go back where I got off the road and get back on the right road. All I have to do to do that is pay attention to the street signs. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We can study your word. Thank you for what we find taught in the, in the book of Proverbs. Lord, I pray that you make us sensitive, Lord, to, to what you're saying, to how you're directing us. Make us sensitive to be able to recognize the street signs, where we find ourselves, where we got off track. I pray that we can hear the voice of Jesus throughout saying, Come follow me. This is the way. A soft answer. A gentle spirit. Not harsh. Lord, I pray that we could recognize the way. The way following you is, is not a tongue out of control, but a tongue that is under control. Lord, I pray that we can understand that the way following you is a path filled with joy. Not because our circumstances are perfect, but because we are with you. And in your presence is the perfection of joy. God, I pray that we can come to realize that the, the differences in our experience and our relationship with you and what Scripture says is our lack of paying attention to street signs. Somehow I got off the road. Man, I, I find myself on the broad street. And all that is required, all your word says, repent. Come back to where you have fallen and follow me. Repent and do the things you were doing at the beginning. Repent and follow me. For if you will confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I don't have to wander down the wrong road. Moment by moment, day by day, I can get myself on track. Be where I need to be if I will simply listen to what your word calls me to. That I will follow you. Because in you is found everything I long for in life. Lord, we pray your blessing. And we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.